0: serve one another in love the entire law is summed up in a single command love your neighbor as yourself if you keep on biting and devouring each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other so i say live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking, and envying each other. This is God's word for us.
1: Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, pastor at Christ Central Church. Um, the context in this book of Galatians is liberation. Freedom. Freedom for Gentiles through the gospel. Freedom. A gospel that these Gentiles in Galatia uh, received, these churches in Galatia received through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And now as an attempt to call them back, if you will, to the freedom they received and away, if you will, from the attempts of a certain group of Jewish believers who were... Pushing the Old Testament laws and regulations and circumcision as a must, as a test, as a check off of true righteousness uh, before God. What is Paul's countering message? True righteousness comes through just justification by faith because of the finished work of Jesus and not religious rules and regulations. In other words, freedom to live for God and for each other um, through love and not law. But with this new freedom, they would be faced, like many of us, with a new question that Paul anticipates here. If we don't achieve righteousness by laws, by rules and regulations, then how should we live? How should we be guided and directed? How should we and could we grow closer to who and what God would like for us to be? As the title of a famous book by Christian apologist Francis Schaeffer asks, How then shall we live? How should we walk this believing life in a fallen and, and broken world inside and out? And Paul describes the manifestation of true Christian liberty not as do whatever you like. Paul is not seeking to become the new producer of the video series, Christians Gone Wild. Does it mean, you know, you got the freedom when you go down to Tijuana, Mexico, to smoke a Cuban cigar and enjoy top shelf tequila on the rooftop? While on a pastor's conference. No, that doesn't necessarily end of it. That's not the... That's true, but that's not it. There is so much more here for you. He's saying, don't use the freedom to sin. Don't use the freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Don't use your freedom to live broken and hopeless and empty. Always looking for the next hit to fix your emptiness. No, but that a life of freedom, of true holiness, that it would have fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of God's supernatural Work the fruit of natural results, the fruit of redemption. And according to what I've discovered, I hope we discover, to bear somewhat of a strange fruit. Strange to us because it is supernaturally grown. Understand that this fruit he is talking about, it is the work of God. Look with me at verse 15. It says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is uh, contrary to the sinful nature they are in conflict with each other other so that you do not do so you do not do what you want but if you are led by the spirit you are not under law now in the not works context of the book of Galatians. Paul is saying freedom. The freedom from a condemning life of rules and regulations and failure of being good enough for God to accept and keep and love us. It's the work of God. Did I say this was a strange fruit? This is a strange thing. Hear me. The life believers live. That's walk. The life believers do. Is theirs is not theirs to make work. It is by a supernatural that that's above and beyond our natural ability. It's the supernatural work and power of God freeing them to live free and holy in this fallen world. The Westminster Confession of Faith, written and finished in 1648, which is the doctrinal standard of our denomination, poses this question and gives the following answer. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Let me highlight something here. The believers becoming more godly is a work of God and is in contrast to what we can do on our own. This is what Paul is doing here in this book. He's saying, okay, by the law, you've worked to try to be righteous enough. Now live in the spirit and let God work on you. It is a supernatural happening work of God in the human hearts. And I would put it this way. It is not by your works that you are made holy because you are the work of God. Scripture in Ephesians, another book Paul wrote, says you are his workmanship. You are, the life of God's people are like his beloved sculpture, his broken um, uh, painting. It's it's kind of misshaped and lo- locked to one side or to the other. It's unfinished. It's, it's headed though to beauty and wholeness and holiness in his process by the work of his spirit. So this supernatural fruit is by the power of the spirit. Now, when he talks here about sinful nature, it refers to the susceptible nature of us as humans to sin, believer or not believer. To self-destruct or destroy one another. The weakness, our insecurity of humans in this body, in this world, that necessitates a self-centered sort of life. I'm looking out for number one, I have to protect number one. The The weakness of humans to therefore trust God. To fall to our desires, good or bad, even harmful. I mean, we are weak for the world's poisoned candy apple. We're kind of conditioned to it in our bodies and for the, the gospel then, the message of the Bible is what? You're weak. You're susceptible. You're sitting ducks to the mean, being mean to each other, being destroyed by the mean stuff. We can even fall in love with being mean, if you will. So so we need a power, a power against and for our natural human tendency to sinfulness, our our nature to love sin and fall to sin and depend on everything else but God. We require power, the power of God to save us and change us. This text says it is a life walking in the spirit of God. Understand what happens here. The Holy Spirit comes. And he is the presence and power of God on earth and in believers. And he uses the graces of God, the word, like the scripture we're looking at today. And he uses the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism and discipline, which is, you know, discipleship and fellowship of God's people and worship and prayer. And what he does is the Holy Spirit takes those things as we walk in him and trust in his power. He takes those things and he makes them power. Powerful to change our behavior by changing our hearts and our motives. You know, our new members book says this religion makes nice people. The gospel, the spirit of God working, makes new people. See, Paul not only here but throughout the scriptures declares that a believer is a child of God, a new creation with a new standing, a new life, but one who has to still live life in the body, in the flesh, in this world, in battle with the sinful nature, yes, susceptible to this world, susceptible to their histories, their mind-washing over the years, the forces around them can still seek to cling there. When Kelly and I moved into the neighborhood we lived in, we moved into a house of someone who was a crack addict. You know, nice. You know, we like these, some of us urban folk, we like these nice 1920 bungalow stuff, nice hardwood floors and all that. But this house was dirty. You could tell a person, that I don't know what they were doing up in there. I know one thing they were doing up there. But it, it was just stuff wasn't taken care of. Or it was broken. But realize when we signed the papers in the lawyer's office, at that point it changed ownership. Someone different lived there. It was not the same old crack house, even though that was a place where that stuff was done. But was still... Susceptible, still damaged by the world it lived in and the world it lives in. You know, a gunshot hole still can happen. I even got people knocking on the door, looking for the same crack addict that used to live there. Do do so and so home? No, I'm home. Amen. You no? (laughs) Kelly? No, she don't want none either. And so you, you've got this kind of living in the world. Is You're under new ownership. You're not the same. You're a new creation. And what the Lord does is, yes, things come knocking. You're, you have the sinful nature. You're in the flesh. You're in the world. And things come knocking at the door. And the thing that answers the door is that same message of justification by faith. This person belongs to the Lord. You're now restored and protected by the hands and care and sovereign time of the one who snatched you from condemnation in a world, and neighborhood, if you will, that was headed the same way. To, over time, at the discretion of the owner, to make the person begin to come in line with who the owner is is all that to say becoming a new creation becoming a child of god the bible says took the power of the spirit of god nobody in this room that confesses themselves to be a believer and being god's church and trust jesus did it because one day they woke up and it was a good idea that they could achieve i'm making a life change i'm going to be a believer today Scripture teaches that, that Jesus even said himself that those who would become the sons and daughters of God, God had to give them power to be that, to declare that, to want to be a believer. And so he's saying, guess what? For all you legalistic rules and regulation people, the same power walking in the spirit it will take that more than human work more than human effort more than checking all the right boxes more than jumping through the right hoops but it will take power to live in this world in the flesh in a place in world of human weakness and brokenness to come to a place where your life declares holiness and righteousness in the way you live and heart think before the lord Bible study, prayer, quiet times, community group, mission trips, church attendance. That's a walk. It's a way of doing life. But he says, do these things. (laughs) Walk, live in the spirit, but this is what it means. These things don't work because you do them or do them well. Well, I had ten quiet times. It doesn't work because you did it well. Well, look at me. I've, I've read the whole Bible. That's nice. I hadn't missed church all year. And I'm not trying to say that isn't a benefit to you. But those things don't work because you did them or did them so well or can check them off. But they do good and well by us because of the Spirit's work in them. They don't work because we've promised God to do them or ourselves to do them and to follow them through. No, because God has promised his spirit power to his children that through these things, God would have supernatural effect on their lives as he sees fit in the time and the way he sees fit. Last week I talked about the fact that this is a lifetime. This is a walk. This is a way of living. This isn't college. It isn't after four years you're ready. Because you did all the classes. It doesn't work like that. Yes, come into the school of grace. Eat and learn of the Lord. But after four years, you just entered the process. You're just beginning, man. When I became a believer, I thought if I just stopped listening to secular music, oh, I'm holy. Then it was like, look at that Christian music you listen to, it's bad. Now what's that say about you? Shine, G. Okay, I better not do that. I actually kind of like that song, kind of on the down, you know. Anyway. The fruit of the spirit is a strange fruit and it gets stranger here because we've just said that becoming more of what God would have you to be for his glory and do is a supernatural work. The scripture is also teaching us that it's naturally known. It's naturally perceived. Look with me at verses 19 through 21. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Obvious. That means you can see them. You can experience, you can feel them. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the these this sin list these are relational realities these are things that we can't do and don't do in isolation or just inside our hearts or in the spiritual. No, these are spatial relational realities of how we actually live and feel and spend our time, what we do with our hands, what we do with our mind, with our mouths. And it connects with what he says back in verse 13 and 15. Now hear this carefully. Look at verse 13. You, my brothers are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature, but rather serve one another. Now keep going here. The entire law summed up in a single commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, Watch out or you will be destroyed by by each other. Now look at the last verse, verse 26. It says, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. I'm going to make a connection here. This is saying that life apart from the law is supernatural fruit with natural results manifested in real relationships with each other and with God. Here's the irony. He is saying that those that he talks about in verse 13 through 15, the ones who've come in and cut off the grace of God, those who are seeking to live legalistically, saying you need to be circumcised in order to really be God's, you know, the the work-centered sense of righteousness, that those who live legalistically, self-righteously, fall right in the list of those deplorable sins. You see, the, the circumcision group was thinking, we're not doing sexual immorality. We're not doing this. We not smoking, we not drinking, we not listening to secular music, we doing good. We don't look like sinners. But Paul says here, and the the whole goal is to love one another. Understanding that the deplorable sins talked about in verses 19 through 21, yes, that is very clear. You're not loving anybody but yourself when you do those things. But he's saying, guess what? Those who live legalistically and self-righteously, jumping through hoops and asking others to jump through hoops, you have the same heart. ...as those who do the other thing. Come from the same thing. Not being freed by a life in the Spirit. You know, the the, the, the nice sin list. You know, envying, backbiting, that kind of thing. This is what happened in Galatia when people started to make certain works. The standard of what it meant to be righteous. The standard of what it meant to be sanctified. It reminds me of middle school and high school, right? when there's a standard of dress. Even now, my brother Terrence like to try to call me out. Hadn't stopped. Thank you, man. No. You remember, for some of you, the people you feared most weren't the people always getting suspended and beating up folk. It was the beautiful people, wasn't it? And some of you were the beautiful people. I'm sorry. The ones who score touchdowns on Friday night get to be at the top of the pyramid with the pom-poms. If you're a cheerleader or a football player, I'm not trying to come down on you. I'm, I'm describing, I'm caricaturing something. Okay, that ain't you. All right, that's not you. In my day, if you went to school around the beautiful people, the ones who they shopped, I mean, every week they got some new clothes, right? If your pants had this much flair to it, you're in trouble. See, y'all young ones, y'all don't know about that. Because see, the flare legs came back. But you see these pants right now? They would be like bell bottoms. See, we used to have to roll it up and make it tight at the ankle, you know, make it baggy. You didn't want no flare, And let me tell you, this collar, hey, that's off. You had to have it buttoned down and nice and tight on the neck. Because if you had a little bit of flare. Wingtips, wingtips. We hated the seventies and the eighties. We hated it. If you didn't have your pants rolled up, you can't have uh, uh, Panama Panama Joe. You had to have Panama Jack. I mean, I wore my shirt like I got the Sears shirt. Y'all know saddle book or whatever it is, and they're like, "You ain't got no rider on that horse. That ain't polo." <laughs> <laughs> Back in the 80s, it mattered, y'all. Like, hey, that, that Panama Jack, you got that for Marshalls, didn't you? How can you tell? Look in the car in the picture. Panama Jack hat is off, it's supposed to be on. I mean, we, we were serious in the 80s. They wreaked havoc in the lives of the insecure. Defined by their ability to be accepted and be in or be loved or be popular and not wear the right thing. And so there is a lot of backbiting, mistreatment. It made for sin. Folk would go in and steal clothes. You see, you get what I'm saying? People had to wear the right thing. Folk wouldn't come to school. Because all their mama could afford was some pants that weren't really flaring, but just flaring a little bit. I mean, folk went through mess. And he is saying, you know, in like verse two, these are hot 26, their haughtiness and laughing each other and excluding each other based on outward performance is a sign of a heart that's not accepted based on the love of God and Jesus Christ. It's based on works. It goes against the commandment, love one another, just like the mean list of sexual immorality and all that stuff comes in. He is saying, apart from Christ, you're either very legalistic or very wild. The same heart, though. Paul is saying security in Christ produces the opposite of performing and backbiting, but love. Here, unconditional love for each other. That unconditional love is presented here. He says, this is the summary of the whole law. Love one another. And yes, the law tells us what love expressed looks like. It looks like not killing and not stealing and not committing adultery. Do these things not as a way, now hear me, do these things not as a way to prove anything to God or anyone else, but simply out of love for the other person. Love is the new motivation of the heart, not performance or proving or posturing or acting or pretending like you're good. Now, let me join this with something else, because you have the the you got your little neighbors, that's us. Then you got your big neighbor, the one in heaven, God. Okay. So what Jesus said in the gospels, he said, he said you know, here is the summary of the commands. Here is the summary of the law. And this is what Paul is quoting here. He says Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. He says, this is the first in great commandment. And then he says, the second is like it. The second goes with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. Whoa. I thought he said, we're free from the law. Because when he talks about the summary of the Decalogue, if if you look at your Ten Commandments again, you know, you kind of got the first four or five, and, 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 and they sort of reflect our relationship between us and God, and then the last group of commandments, stealing and adultery and all those things, are about relationship horizontally, and so you've got this... Vertical and horizontal relationship explained in Scripture. Now, you got at Mount Sinai, Moses went up, got the commandments, realized what it was about. It wasn't about rules and regulations. Yes, it had rules and regulations, but it was about God saying, let's have relationship. I love you. Let me show you how you can love me. Let me show you how you can love one another. You are now my people. You're a family. Let me tell you how family relates. Let me, and so he's saying, by doing his commandments, obey, look to the law, live holy, express love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control as love for God and each other. What is going on here? I thought we were free from the law. We're free from the law. Truly, as a means of righteousness, as, as a marker of ultimate righteousness in what we do. But now we're free to do the law as a marker of our love for God. Now, what's going on here? The belief that love begets love. Paul is saying, those who live by their own works, their own sense of righteousness, jump through hoops, checking off boxes, trying to be good enough, and those who live without hope in the hedonistic wildness of their life. Now, even those of us who are marked by degrees of both, I got both going on. I'm sure everybody got both going on. They can't and aren't loving well because they don't know the love of God for them. They're missing it somewhere. Remember, this commandment thing is about relationship. The relationship with God is kinked or clouded. Paul is no longer calling us to consider what we do only, but why we do it. And the central question has to do with love. Have you not known truly God's love, unconditional love for you? Have we missed it because our backbiting insecurity and sexual immorality and drunkenness and hatredness, hatred and inability to love and be loved by others and God say, I don't know and I don't believe God loves me. It says, I don't know or believe how much God loves me. I can't love you because I've not known the redemptive love of God for myself. This takes us back to the Spirit's work, which is communicating powerfully the love of God and Jesus Christ to your heart. This The Spirit communicates the gospel. The Bible says the Spirit, he doesn't come to testify of himself, but he comes to testify in our hearts by all the things in Scripture and all the things we do in sacraments, all the things we do in fellowship. He comes to communicate Jesus. He comes to communicate the gospel. It is pathological. The spirit is like God's cupid. Okay. The spirit brings our union with Christ, our relationship with Christ and his character, its love to pass on our lives. It makes it happen and it redefines for us what the fruit of the spirit really is and is really about. It is about the gospel that says we're sinners. We're susceptible to sin. And Jesus is our one and only hope and Savior. That means He is a lover and redeemer of people like you and me. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Look with me at verse 22 and 24. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things, there is no law. law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with his passions and desires. What does the gospel declare? What Paul has declared throughout this book. You and I can't do it by the law. Or buy our works, or buy our crazy, wild, living freedom. We can't fix what's broken. You know, I um, I was in the hospital, as a fact, and I picked up the Discovery magazine. I used to like reading those things about new scientific stuff, and I like it because it helps. You know, people who don't know science that well helps them understand what's going on. I, I like those. So, anyway, and it makes you feel smart when you're done reading it. And or dumb. um, so. They had this article on signs. It's amazing. On street signs, like traffic signs. And it said this, the more traffic signs, the more wrecks. The more traffic signs, the more law breaking. And it went on to say that traffic signs communicate that we're safe. Like, okay, speed limit 70. Ooh, I'm doing 69. I'm safe. Or, you know, oh, I didn't do a U-turn. I'm good. And it says that we begin to kind of have a posture of, well, we're following the law, so we're safe. And there's a less concern. There's a less neediness. There's a less concern about the brokenness. There's a little concern about, you know, you can still mess up. You still can swerve or go off to the side. And I play this game of myself. It's 70. I'm doing 72. I'm all right. But that guy over there doing 80? Mm. when you live by the law or your works it causes us to be to be unaware of our messiness the rules and regulations and hoop jumping and approval of God living has fooled us into thinking we're okay we don't need Jesus as much we don't need to be careful of our sinful nature, we don't need it crucified because we got it, on, you're under the speed limit you know, you went to that party. You had one there. You're all right. You didn't have two. You're good. You're safe now. The gospel communicates something different. You can't do it. You fail. Your irreligious attempts even, your religious attempts, your private, hidden, hypocritical life, your attempts to fill the emptiness has failed to feed or fix it. Circumcision, spiritual hoop jumping has failed to save you and you have failed to rid yourself of them. And so the gospel declares that those harmful, hurtful things, that, that way of life must be put to death through one person, Jesus Christ. You can't trust the road signs. They're good. They help us slow down and think. They should be there to help us slow down and think about how cautious we need to be to remind us of how we can mess up and wreck and go off the road. Trust me, at 65 miles an hour, you still cannot live if you hit something. So the law saying, look at Jesus. Look at your brokenness. Look at your neediness. And, and so the gospel declares that those harmful and hurtful things, that, that, again, they have to put, be put to death through Jesus. And those who are Christ have, have mortified the sin. They've, they've put to death. And, and so those who are Jesus' united to Christ, what this means is this, because I don't want y'all going home, you know, writing down your sins and sticking a knife through it or something. That ain't what I'm talking about. This ain't no voodoo stuff here. What, what it's saying is those who are Jesus' And know the gospel, believe and live as if their answer to their sinful desires and issues and self-righteousness and its issues have an answer only in what Jesus did on the cross. That's your answer. What do I do with this sinful nature? I need the gospel. I need to confess my sins. I need to repent. I need to believe that the cross of Jesus alone takes them away. And by the Spirit's working in the gospel through the grace, that my sin will be mortified because of Jesus' finished work on the cross and not my ability to stay under the moral speed limit. That through his death, his work alone, there is now new life. The fruit of Spirit is the work of the Spirit In which God's love in Christ is communicated to us, in us, and through us. But it's not actually us. Say this, I'm going to give you the words of this song sung originally by Billie Holiday. I guess it was the 30s, y'all help me, 30s or 40s or something. Jazz singer. It's a very sobering song for those of you who don't know. It's harsh, but I want you to hear it. Southern trees bear strange fruit. Blood on the leaves and blood at the root. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. Strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scent of the gallant south. The bulging eyes and the twisted mouth. Scent of magnolias, sweet and fresh. Then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here's the fruit the crows, for the crows to pluck. For the rain to gather, for the wind to suck. For the sun to rot, for the trees to drop. Here is a strange and bitter cry. This bitter and heart-wrenching picture. ...of lynching in the post-civil right period, civil war period, of the innocent should have a universal gravity to it for all of us. So that we would know the redemption of God, Jesus was lynched. One bearing our sins disgraced before and between heaven and earth so that sinners can know the love of God. The strange fruit is Christ hanging on the cross of salvation for our salvation and of our sanctification. The strange fruit is Jesus hanging on the cross. Bring the benefits of the kingdom to us through it. Jesus, the strange fruit is the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For the death of your sin is the death of the Savior. So the question about the fruit of the Spirit is this, is Christ hanging around in your life? Has and is the cross continually preached to your heart? Does the unconditional love of God, the gospel, is it present in your life? Have you heard and lived by the good news that God loves sinners and He is a God and Father and has adopted those who cannot save or keep or change themselves? And the strange communicated fruit of the Spirit says that. You know, we've gotten so crazy about the fruit of the Spirit that somehow we've become fruit inspectors of others and ourselves. I don't see love. I don't see patience. I don't see goodness. And then we got a book for each one, like, of the fruit, you know, like, you got to work out this, to get this fruit, not fruit. And we're looking for people who act loving and joyful and peaceful and patience and faithful. You know, we've done, we've created a new law. Who shows the fruit? Trust me, there's some non-Christians who show the fruit a lot better. Trust me, ain't nobody got self-control like some of them monks over there. I mean, ridiculous. When we really should be looking for a life that points to a Savior, that hangs central in their topsy-turvy life as the strange fruit. Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit. The love of God, the peace of God, the patience of God, the self-control of a savior who gave up his body to die on the cross for you and me. And the question is, have we known that? Do you, is the fruit of the spirit in your life? Has that been communicated to you? Is that being communicated to you? Not first that you bear some kind of moral fruit, but more so that you may display a life that has eaten of Christ, the fruit of the spirit. Present in your life. Tasting His grace and His goodness. The fruit of God coming alive in our hearts and the lives of people begetting love for each other. You know, you are what you eat. So freeing them to love each other in Him is the end of our fleshly fruit and the beginning of the strange fruit. So that our lives aren't marked by our good works and behavior or bad behavior but a behavior pointing to and marked by Jesus' fruitful presence. Free now to be needy and repentant. Independent, as if you got food right there in the hunger of your being on the search, in the hunger of your sin, that you got somebody or something that you can turn to and get grace, that there's a tree, fruit, right there. And it is the grace of God giving you Jesus over and over, God, living free like, you know, if you know you got something to eat, it changes the way you live. What does freedom look like? You know, this whole story of redemption starts out in the garden. And they said, you know, you can eat the fruit of any tree, but you can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat of that tree. We ate. We messed up. in Christ, God has given us a new fruit that guess what? Here's freedom. That the gospel frees us to eat. You need love? Eat of Jesus. You need patience? He's patient. You need joy? The Bible says the Lord enjoys His people. And it manifests in our lives. Our works, our behavior should say we have the fruit of the Spirit because we have Jesus. And the Spirit plants. And, and He causes the fruit of Jesus to hang low for our sinners who are like dead on the ground to be able to grab it and eat it. Don't you understand? In Christ, you're free. To partake of the supernatural power of God. Don't use it to indulge in sinful nature. When you have Jesus, God in the flesh, communicating His grace and His righteousness and His freedom to you. His righteous acts are the fruit of the Spirit in us, through us, and for us. For a sinful people in a sinful land, Jesus is. The fruit of the Spirit, that strange fruit of a Savior who died and suffered on a cross for sinners, communicated to us by His grace. Strange fruit. The fruit of sanctification. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. In Christ, there your grace is. In Christ, there the change of our hearts. There it is. By your gospel, those of us who don't know you, Lord, free us to finally taste what love is like. And patience is like, and by it renew us that we would become what we eat only as we eat it as it's given freely by your grace, Lord, that we would love each other and have patience for one another and self-control only because we eat of you. Free us to eat of you today. Free us, Lord, to repent. Free us to say, I tried living this life. It's unfruitful. It's damaging. It's evil. It's poisoning me. I've tried to be righteous enough and jump through enough hoops. Oh, Lord, lower the hoops and give me the fruit. Lord, please do that in the hearts of your people. Call those who are sinners. Buy the fruit into it to eat. And those who are your people who are now a new creation. Give them a new freedom to come to Jesus needy and repentant and desperate for the righteousness and sanctification that only comes through Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Do that in our hearts, Lord. Convince us that we can't do it and that you have. Free our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.